Hey, one quick thing before we get started. I just want to remind you that this podcast is for information, education, and entertainment. It is not a substitute for therapy or therapeutic intervention. If you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or contact a crisis hotline. On this episode of the LOL Pod, my guest, Lambers Fisher, and I talk all things relationship, be it family relationships in a couple or your whole family. And we talk about diversity and cross-cultural relationships and how to make them work. Let's jump in. Hey, everyone. It's LaShonda from Labors of Love, and you are listening to the Labors of Love podcast. Very excited to have a conversation with my guest today. He is a marriage and family therapist and a national speaker on the topic of diversity made simple. I have Mr. Lambers Fisher. How are you, Lambers? I'm doing pretty good, Shonda. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for joining me. Good, good. So I'm going to start like I do with all of my guests and ask, what is your labor of love? Well, uh, I'm a marriage and family therapist, been doing it for about 19 years now, almost 20, uh, with a major passion for strengthening relationships, strengthening couples. There's a lot of misunderstandings that get in the way of people who genuinely try to and want to have a lasting and committed and strengthened relationship. And I want to help strengthen those. And it started off with just marriages, expanded to couples, families. And it also led into what is now uh, my also not necessarily primary, but comparable goal of strengthening cross-cultural relationships through my diversity trainings. Nice. So strengthening relationships, I can relate to that on so many levels. And um, I I really appreciate the the different ways that is showing up for you. So we're going to definitely spend some time talking about that. But um, can you perhaps give us a little insight into where this labor and passion is rooted for you? Where did this start? Well, my marriage family therapy story uh, starts out pretty early. Uh, growing up in a family where there was uh, almost a uh, eight to one female to male ratio in my family, uh, which I was I started actually counting uh, by the time I got to college with um, uncles and and grandfathers and 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 people not uh, staying around either getting divorced uh and not coming back and never getting married in the first place or just never been around and um having very few had a few but very few examples of relationships that lasted and i saw the the skew and i said i want to figure out how to change that trend i want a relationship that lasts uh, and w- wait, there's a whole career field where I can learn how to do it myself and help other people along the way. Sign me up. That that that's I literally wrote it on college applications, and it sounded like a cute story, but it's 100% true. And I've been trying to do the same thing ever since. So my wife and I've been together for 20 years, and uh, I've been trying to put it into practice every day, knowing that it's not perfect, knowing that it's not easy, uh, but being committed to not taking it for granted either. And to say, uh, whether the relationships last for two years or 20, and people say, you know what, we're calling it quits. It's like, no, you can never let your foot off the gas. You got to keep on doing it on purpose. Keep on uh, trying to show new ways to, to show I love you, to say I love you, to, to receive it, to give it, uh, and to understand what the other person needs as well. Uh, and that's where the challenge comes in. But to be able to do it uh, at home and then to offer it at work from a real scenario. I, I can't come at other relationships uh, and say, well, it's obvious. How come you don't see it? No, because it's not obvious, because it's easy to to not see it. And sometimes it takes not an expert, but just somebody on the outside of that relationship to help you see what you already know. You just needed some help to see it. And that's what's made it real. That's what's made it uh, worth coming to work every day because I get a chance to be invited into people's relationships and help them make them stronger. No, that's awesome. And it is a cute story, but I am glad that it's 100% (laughs) true, right? And just, um, I find that many people that I've had the pleasure of talking to about their labors of love, they're rooted in an experience of, I saw something growing up and sometimes often a commitment to saying, I want to make that better, or I want to fill in that gap. I want to do that. So I very much appreciate that. Yeah, I can say that's part of my story too, but definitely not as, I was not as aware. I can look back in hindsight and be like, oh yeah, I was built for this, right? But I definitely did not have that clarity and insight going into it. So I appreciate that. And um, so you talk about, there are so many things you said, I'm, I'm trying to, in my mind, be like, don't forget this. I'm 
2021, I'm taking a stab at not taking as many notes. Because I used to Good take, <laughs> like, I know, right? Like, if I don't write it down, it, it vanishes. But then I started to say, like, maybe I can build this muscle, right? That oh, I can yeah, build yeah. a muscle of retaining these nice. short-term things. Now, my long-term memory, no problems, okay? One, one challenge at a time. <laughs> I can tell you what you were wearing in third grade when you were sitting in what row like it's Impressive. but then that that whole like dang what did he just say so that's why <laughs> I put that together so one thing you talked about that I think is it was so interesting because it immediately made me think first of my my husband but then of myself is this um, family dynamic where the ratios are very high women low men sure. and my husband um his family his mom was one of 10 and there were only three boys right, and so right. then he has two sisters it's just like there are a lot of women in the family exactly. and that that stood out to me coming into their family because there are so many of them but mm -hmm. my family is smaller but besides yeah still very women um dominated Sure. in regards to numbers and I personally have been exploring what I absorbed mm -hmm. growing up in that environment yeah. um and you know I say all the time it's not about good bad right or wrong but it is about exploring and and taking those data points and I didn't see a lot of men doing a lot of stuff right and it makes sense for a child to generalize information and how that generalizes women do everything. And yeah. now I don't, I don't mean from a capacity, a capability standpoint, like women are capable of everything. Yeah, no, women did everything because there were not a lot of men to, you know, I didn't see harmony or balance of a lot of different roles and things. So that stood out to me when you were talking about that. And I, I, I'm, I'm able to kind of be aware of that. And then, um, one thing you said um, is your passion in your work, not necessarily being the expert, but being an outside person mm -hmm. looking in to kind of tell people what they already know. And when I have conversations with some people around therapy or counseling, people who are averse or there's a stigma to it, I, I try to get them to understand. It's not that you don't believe therapy works. You just don't use the right people. There so you, you truly you do believe in therapy. It's why you always cause of calling your cousin <laughs> right. something go down, right? And so That's people true. are looking for that outside person. The challenge is your cousin Brian or your cousin Kiki don't have the skills right. or the, the um, objective capacity to put a mirror in front of your relationship instead of telling you what you should or should not do. Indeed. And, and, and so I really like how you talked about that, that um, I try in all of my therapeutic relationships, I say you're coming in and there is a power differential because people view the counseling relationship like they do the medical model. You go in and there's a doctor, the doctor has all the answers and the prescriptions and the diagnoses and, you know, they have the answers. And I try to say, nope, we're in this together, but it's, it's always, it's not about being an expert. It's right. about being observant exactly, and, and walking with people on the journey. So tell us how that, what that kind of practically looks like and how that shows up in your work. Well, it reminds me of um, one of my first couples that I, that I worked with is a premarital couple, uh, 80 and 82 years ago, years ago. It was great. Uh, first oh, I thought that's how old they were. And I was like, now this is going to be a good story. Yeah. No, you mean the years. Okay. Gotcha. I'm with you. It just no, took me a second. No, no, no. I mean, that's how old they were. <laughs> oh, you did. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Okay. A first marriage for one. And the other was uh, widowed, and so they were getting married. It was, a, it was the coolest couple. I want, I want to say the cutest couple, but sometimes people view that as a, a patronizing. But no, they were genuinely cute, like just lovey-dovey, holding their hands, not not patronizing cute. And uh, and it was great because um, they they loved each other. It was great. They were looking forward to it, but they wanted to start off their relationship well. They said, you know what? We don't want to take it for granted. Uh, one, obviously, been married before, had a good marriage, but things can be different. Let's let's uh, uh, let's uh, get, get some help, get some assistance, and. Um, 
I was using a, 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 a relationship inventory, using some tools to help out. But in the first session, uh, the, as, as po positive and polite as they were, as they could be, uh, they were a little bit cautious because I was like barely, you know, 22, 23, something to that effect. Uh, and and, and, uh, and the, uh, the husband, the groom, as it were, uh, looked at me and said, um, how old are you? And then I told him, it's like, I'm, I could be your, your grandfather, your great-grandfather if you add it up, right? Uh, and uh, it's like, uh, are, are you married? No, I've I, uh, been with my wife. We, we've been we've been together. We weren't married yet. We've been together for uh, since college, and uh, so we get you married. No, you, you have kids. No, uh, what what do you have to offer me? Uh, and and he, it wasn't a confrontation, but it was a genuine question. And I was put on the spot real fast. We didn't get any training about this, so that wasn't to go. <laughs> um, but I, I, I genuinely, uh, and it didn't didn't take me too long to give an answer. And and I pretty much told him, you're you're right. I don't have cumulative life experience to offer you. I, I can't top you on that. I don't have 83 to beat you. Uh, and, and, and that's not the goal. And I don't feel bad about that because you have me beat in that area. However, I do have a couple of things that can be beneficial. One, I do have a little bit of training that can help. I'm in a master's program. You know, I, I've, I've gotten enough training on the relationship skills. And as much of that that can be helpful, I will offer them to you and take, take what you can and leave the rest. But in addition to that, I'm not in your relationship. I'm on the outside, which means some things I can see because I don't have skin in the game. I'm not going to be defensive. I'm not going to be protecting myself. I'm not going to misunderstand what you might be thinking or what you might be saying in between because I'm on the outside. And because of that, I can help you see each other better than you already are seeing it right now. You're already starting off great. I'm not here to teach you how to do that. I just want to help remove some of the barriers that might be getting in the way. And if that can be beneficial, then let's let's get to work. And they look at each other, and they smiled, and they said, "All right, let's see what you got, kid." <laughs> and I've been doing that same thing for like almost twenty years now. Uh, and, it, and it's great because I can balance. Yeah, I've been trained to do some things. Yes, I have some experience that adds on every year. But also just to give them the respect to say, "You know more than you think you know." I'm not. I'm in the all-knowing position, and you in the um, uh, not knowing anything position. I want to empower them because at the end of the day, once I'm done. I don't want them to have to start from scratch. I want them to feel like they can continue to grow, building upon what they didn't realize they already had so that they can continue to learn from each other uh, for, for years to come. And so it's mutually beneficial. No, that is so awesome. So one, smiling ear to ear, like how awesome is it when two people who have over eight decades yeah. of life experience still realize there's more to learn? Come yeah. on, right? Yeah. We yeah. get to 21 and we like, I know it all, right? <laughs> <laughs> Can't tell me nothing. Yet, the, yet this couple realized there's more. I also love that their age did not seem to uh, create a narrative for them that um, let's not pursue. Like, you know, some people get to a certain age. I know people much younger than them who are like, mm, I'm too old for this. You know, maybe they're widowed or widowed. You know, it's like, mm -mm. I mean, maybe I'll have a little friend, but ain't nobody going through, right? But I love that they, you know, that's very inspiring and um, inspirational for me. So thank you for that. And I, I was, I wanted to do snaps, but my microphone real sensitive. I wanted to pick up on everything you were saying because I, I really do believe that's it. And um, a big thing for me, particularly this year, um, as I am working with families, um, moving, shifting my focus more to families than individuals and couples. What I realize is um, my definition of family is very expanded. So I grew up in a very small biological family. And so from the very onset, I got more cousins and aunties and uncles than I can name, right? But they are not biologically related. Right. And right. I've created family throughout my life. Friends became sisters, friends became brothers, mentors became moms and dads. And so my perspective of family is very much expanded. And I think people need to think about every relationship that you're in deserves the best of you and you deserve the best of the other person, which means being intentional and um, uh, what's the word? It's not a hard word. Give me a second. Um, investing there it is <laughs> investing in quality relationships which means you got that person you want to go into business with i think y'all need couples counseling right right like 
you will spend more time with that person, more effort, more energy, more money with them than you actually do your partner. I had a band uh, reach out to me. Yes, hello. Y'all have to operate in synchronicity. There you go. How you gonna do that if y'all, you know, it, it's all these inner conflicts. And so that group of friends that you had since high school, college, y'all still get together every year and kick it. That's a family. Right. And I do believe that all of these relationships can benefit from the services that we provide because it's not uh, necessarily always about repairing a rupture. Right. People think right. that, you know, you something went wrong or here's this issue. Now we got to go fix it. How about we come together and say, there are some things I need to work on with me. There are some things you need to work on with you. What if we worked on them together, still getting what I need, you still get what you need, but not only do we have accountability, but we have support and in, in, in doing that. So that that's where I'm leaning. How do I get people to understand that, you know, whatever these relationships are, professional relationships, personal relationships, those kind of things, this can be a beneficial therapeutic relationship. And so that's what I heard in, in what you were saying to this couple and that what you do when you're working with people. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it's an acknowledgement that, um, that, that old distinction between, let's say, marriage counseling and marriage enrichments. You know, there's this view that counseling is all about solving, always solving something that's wrong, solving a problem, which obviously there's more to it than that, but it's that view as opposed to taking something that could be doing just well, but intentionally firming up things, strengthening things for its long-term growth and sustainability. And that can be applied to any relationship. And like you said, you know, uh, uh, sometimes it's a matter of how much time you spend with somebody, just like we're learning now, uh, being um, a lot of people working from home, being in the same place. Uh, I've, I've, I've had to work with uh, couples who can say just as honestly to each other's face, you know, I love you, but for a long time, I got used to loving you in the morning, in the evening, and on the weekends, like mm-hmm. like, like an old cell phone plans. I, I had a nights and weekends plan. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> uh, but now I have to have a, a full day marriage. That's a whole different skill set to learn. Uh, I, I, and for those who don't say it the, the most positive way, they say, I learned how to tolerate you in the morning and in the evening. And then with that, I could still like you during the day when we were away. I, I could miss you. And you know what? I look forward to missing you again. Yeah, yeah. I look forward to looking forward to seeing you again. Um, but I don't get the opportunity since we back to back at our desks or you, you're in the next room uh, and, and uh, we have the tag team. And so that none of those are negative. None of those are, are jabs. They're just challenges and they're learning new skills. It's almost like um, when you work out uh, and you're used to the same workout, using the same muscles and you, and you think, hey, I'm fit. Hey, I, I, I'm, I'm healthy. And somebody throws in a new workout and you realize, wow, I can't do that. Well, I got all these muscles. I can do this and that. But not all the muscles have been worked out in the same way. Uh, and in, in the same kind of way, you could stumble across a muscle that isn't as strong and, 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 and make the wrong conclusions. Oh, maybe we weren't as committed as we thought. Oh, maybe maybe we didn't love each other as much as we thought. And if we can clear up some of those misunderstandings, like, no, your love is just as much. It's evident here, here, and here. You just stumbled across a muscle that, that you haven't worked as, as, uh, as much as you worked something else. We can work on that. We can strengthen that. Not to, to bodybuilder status, but enough that you can build on it without me here. If we can start that, then you maintain hope, reignite hope, reignite trust and in yourself, let alone each other. And then I can just sit back and wish you guys the best and, you know, send me, send me an email in a year saying, hey, we got it. We, we still run it. Uh, and, and that's a great that's a great place to be. Great. Absolutely. Place. You know, I have a friend, her husband's a truck driver. Right. And she like, look, these vacations, like <laughs> I got a routine. I, she said, I got the whole thing. <laughs> he come right. home for a week. You like, whoa. You messing up the flow because you, we, you we build the muscles where where things are the most. And I, I definitely agree with your saying the misunderstandings. Yeah, I'm frequently saying that our brain reaches for the most convenient narrative. There you go. And when 
there starts to be conflict or challenges that we're not familiar with, sometimes our brain will grab the first thing that's accessible. Maybe it's the thing you've heard the most or what's right in front of you or the last thing that happened. Like, is this even meant to be? I said this a year, well, almost a year ago as quarantining and the shutdown was happening. And I said, people are going to start trying to make relational decisions. Please don't make any relational decisions while we're in this quarantine now. To the fact that there are some people who had to be face to face with their abusers, and I understand that, right? right. And so I'm, I'm not talking about the extreme of, of abusive relationships, but in the everyday average relationship, the reason why I was I was trying to help people listen, that decision you think you want to make is it's it's in the midst of a pandemic, right. and it's also like I love the muscle analogy, and I also feel like what the relationship lacks or the, 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 the weaknesses in the relationship, we have a tendency to attribute to the other person or ourselves. So we don't say, whoa, our relationship needs to be strengthened right here. We automatically either point the forward outward or report point it inward. So it becomes a person thing. Yes. He or she is not, I am not. And it's like, no, the, the relationship together. So with the family or with the couple, I say, your relationship is my client. There you go. The relationship is the client, you know, and that alleviates the cross fingers. Like it's everybody, the Mexican standoff, everybody yeah. pointing at everybody else, right? And it's like, yeah. we're all a part of the unit. We all bring something, we all take something. Let's explore that. And so I love that very much because um, as the world is slowly opening up to whatever it will be. Right. To be uh, and people are going back to things that they've, are used to and accustomed to, or they're pivoting towards something else, mm-hmm. we're going to have to be able to adopt um, an, an, an altered lens at how we look at relationships and how they work. And I know that we're, so many of us are craving and missing physical touch and uh, proximity and no, it's not the same. I hear all the time. It's just not the same. These Zoom birthday parties and these Zoom this and the Zoom that. And it's not the same. However, it gave you something where at one point you thought there would be nothing. And so I think it's an altered lens that allows us to not have to say it's replacing, but also see the value in some of the adaptations that we've made. And so uh, I think that couples and family counseling does that. It helps develop that alternative lens. Indeed. A lot of times uh, change is difficult, is inconvenient, but you can stumble across something that you thought was impossible before and you can be pleasantly surprised. You can still look forward to going back, but you can open yourself up to new options. Uh, I was thinking, uh, like, like you mentioned with the uh, uh, Zoom uh, experiences, it's very interesting to watch uh, families uh, try to figure out what Zoom Thanksgiving or, or Zoom Christmas would look like. And you take it a couple of years ago, not only would that have been unfathomable for so many people, it would have been offensive. How offensive. dare you uh, <laughs> try to digitalize, you know, would like make up words. And so, uh, you know, the, the, uh, uh, reduce true, real, real family interaction with everything electronic and digital all kind of, and virtual, blah, blah, blah. And then once you, you know, you, you're faced with do that or nothing, then people got real creative. People got mm-hmm. real creative with, with, uh, with uh, interactions and yeah, you got your meal over there. I got my meal over here, but we're going to have my laptop face your laptop. We're going to have a family conversation. When you have family board games across Zoom, the board game is on one person's table, but then, okay, we're going to go around from this screen to this screen. We're going to roll for you. But then you answer the question. It's like the creativity. Is it the same? Absolutely not. Is it useless? I think not. And many people realize that there could still be connection. They valued it a little bit differently. They tried a little bit hard. When you're at somebody's house and all you had to do was exist over there in the corner and you were still involved, you got a little bit of leeway. But then now you have to be, well, we can't hear you on the screen. You have to engage a little bit different ways. And so people that weren't involved were involved a little bit more. People who dominated had to scale back so they can give other people time because we can't all just talk on the screen. We had to learn new skills and flex them in different ways that that brought a little bit of something out of everybody. Now, what I'm going to be very intrigued about 
is what happens in the future. Sure, we got, things are going to get better at some point. Don't know how. I can't predict the future, but things are going to get better. But this whole return to normal, I, I, I don't see that. Because even if things return in some ways that you can do that you haven't done in a while, there are new possibilities that have been opened up here and people are going to have more Zoom meetings, jobs that people thought you just can't, it is impossible to do this job uh, virtually. People realize, you know what? We might choose to have a virtual meeting because it saves on some commute times. We might choose to meet people and how, how, how's it going to change relationships? People who, you know, uh, you know what, it, you, we can only uh, uh, talk over lunch if you leave and we come meet together. That's the only way you can show me you care about me. And now maybe we could just have a little Zoom call real quick to let you know I love you. I mean, there's little things that don't have the same connotations as they did before. And that's how I'm going how, how to be intrigued to see how it, uh, in, uh, it inc is incorporated into the future of things. And so it's going to be the same? Absolutely not. But I think we're going to evolve in a, in a way that I hope is going to be healthy and, uh, and gives more options for healthy interactions along the way. I, I agree with that so much. And I do 100% know that um, the very elitist, white supremic, <laughs> and, and uh, patri uh, not patriotic, uh, patriarchal ways in which so much of our country functioned, like when people were saying, hey, there are students who need accommodations, and they said, mm -mm, nope, can't do that. When there were people who had restrictions, and they said, well, this job isn't for you. Now, those excuses, mm, they're out the window, because when it impacted the communities that they felt mattered, whoever they are, yeah. now, you know, so I, I hope that there is intentional effort and momentum around the barriers, right. many barriers that have been reduced across the board. Mm -hmm. Other thing is this whole go back. Part of me realizes how much of that is rooted in a trauma response. Nice. We want to go back because we know how to navigate that. Right. Not because it was better, right. not because it was good, but because at least I know. Right. right. The enemy I know is better than the enemy I don't know. So I'll give me the old enemy so I know what tools and what strategies work. And so now, even in relationships, the go back, it's like, do we really want to go back to that? Right. And so I, I, I too am intrigued and I want to keep saying it because, you know, people, we don't have to do what we've always done. There you go. But some of us, many of us don't know that. Like, literally, that is new information. Someone is hearing that for the first time. I don't have to do what I've always done. You don't. Right. And I personally believe that just knowing that and doing the same thing is still a step in the right direction. Right. Because it's not necessarily about not doing what you've always done. It's just knowing you have a choice. Exactly. And you have a choice even when your body isn't uh, making you feel like you do. Right. You do have a choice. Yeah. And so I, I am intrigued. I, I hope, I know even my services have changed and shifted the reach that I can have. Um, how much I can do uh, in a day has shifted when you take down travel time. Right. But how much me time I put in a day has also shifted <laughs> because I'm like, you know what? Mm -mm. Y'all can't have all of me. I'm sorry. I, I got to save. So I just, I am intrigued as well about how this will manifest. And so, you know, shifting a little bit, um, but still staying kind of within your labor of love is this idea of strengthening and cultivating relationships across culture Indeed. and uh, diversity and, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion. Those are some real big buzzwords. They mean a whole lot of things to a whole lot of people. Exactly. Ah, right. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about um, what that looks like for you in the work you do around diversity and strengthening those cross-cultural relationships. Indeed. Well, it started just in my role as a major family therapist. I was uh, at an organization that was a pretty large organization, had um, uh, sites across the state, and they, they decided to do this train-the-trainer uh, type of model on a variety of different topics, assessments, ethics, this and that, and say, well, we got people coming outside to teach us. Well, we got so-and-so over at this office who who's really good at this. Why don't we just start there and then branch out? And then once it came to the topic of uh, multicultural awareness, it was crickets. Wait, wait, wait what? What? 
well, unless, unless, with his mindset, unless I know everything about everyone, it's best if I say nothing. And, uh, and I started off and said, well, I'll, I'll raise my hand. Uh, I, don't, I don't know everything about everyone, but I know enough to not be scared of the topic. I know enough to see the value in helping other people see the value in their clients, to see people uh, as worth uh, understanding despite the inconvenience of learning things outside they're, they're comfortable with. So I figured I'd start there. And then it went from a one hour training to a two hour training to a full day training to a weekend training sometimes. Um, starting off with mental health professionals, because that's where uh, I was most comfortable with re recognizing that there were skills that I was trying to help people learn that branch way beyond uh, mental health sessions. Uh, I do a similar training for principals trying to lead their teachers uh, in how to manage their students, uh, not just manage, but to help all of them feel just as valued. The same thing I'm doing in counseling session, help people feel seen and valued. The same thing for churches, for pastors and church leaders. So they can say, no matter who is in a congregation, you're making them all feel seen and valued. And then branching out to re recognize that there's similarities and differences that expand way beyond just race. So a lot of the topic of race and ethnicity is definitely a significant topic because it, it impacts people every day, but there's similarities and differences with age and, and gender and, and socioeconomic status and political beliefs. There's so many ways in which we can be divided right now that to compare which one's most important, it's just a matter of who you ask on what day. Uh, and they're all important, but they're not uh, all important, so none of them are important. They're all important, so let's learn to flex those muscles too. And so I branched out um, using the same skills that I've been using in couple sessions uh, in to help other people in their relationships because those same misunderstandings, the, sa the same things that were unintentionally hurting the other person because what made sense, what, what meant one thing to you meant something completely different to the other person's ears sounds really similar to somebody feeling culturally offended and the other person saying, wait, what did I say? Uh, it's not automatically that they are just so inconsiderate that they had the audacity to say that. They had no clue. That, why? Because they didn't have the same experiences that preceded it that, that helped them understand it. So do we, do we excuse it all and say, well, I don't know, so you should just be fine with it? No, we help reduce the ignorance. Uh, and, I, and I use ignorance in a completely uh, uh, neutral sense. I, I grew up with ignorance being being a cuss word. It's like, are oh, you just so right? Are oh, you so ignorant? Yeah, <laughs> I acknowledge my ignorance all the time. It's just the lack of knowledge. We're all ignorant about something. Uh, and, and if we reduce the judgment, if we reduce the shame of not knowing everything about everybody all the time, then that's one less thing to be defensive about. And then you can help other people say, "Hey, thank you for helping me to understand it. I'm sorry that I was a part of that." And I'll make intentional efforts about trying to make the future uh, better than past, future interactions better than before on as many topics as I can, on as many similarities and differences as I can expand my perspective to hold one piece at a time. And so starting with that, uh, I've been able to apply to different um, environments and, uh, and it's been a great opportunity because the more I do it, the more I encounter people who will admit I've always wanted to try to be better at this, but I was afraid to try because I because I felt like I'd be offending people just by trying. Uh, and when people say, wait, I, I can do this? You mean I can do that? that that'll count? And, and, and as far as I'm concerned, I'm advocating for every client out there who says your something is better than nothing. Your lack of expertise, but your effort, strategic, you know, trained, you know, uh, uh, intentional efforts uh, go a long way. Uh, and and uh, that that's been a great great thing to see. And so uh, I've been grateful for the opportunity to uh, help uh, as many helping professionals as possible to expand those efforts. That's awesome work. Um, I I really appreciate that. Essentially, what I heard was, so I do this thing over here, pretty good at it. I continue to develop my skills in this area, and then I realized that there were like. Uh, I could apply this in another area Don't. and then I applied it and because there were people who didn't know it because you know everybody doesn't do what I do okay. and one thing that I I keep coming back to on the podcast knowing that every single almost every episode I'm asking what's your labor of love and people come on and they have uh, they have a way to express it for you know they get asked that question early y'all so they have time to think about it right I don't throw anybody under but the people are listening like I don't know mine how do they do that? Like, I don't know what, and, and part of it is what, what you're going to hear time and time again, right, is something in their lives very often help them identify a need yeah. or uh, a void 
or a deficit somewhere. And then they realize that their natural inclination is. is available to them. And then they applied um, effort and intention to build skill. And then they lived it out. There so I, I do want to demystify this whole idea of purpose and um, passion and labor of love, because it seems sometimes that it's this thing that you have to strive for. You got to Right. take all these classes and you got to pay a whole bunch of money and how am I going to figure it out? And yeah. I say, listen, the fruit tells you what kind of tree it is. There you go. That's it. I there don't care go. what the package said that the seeds came in. Mm -hmm. It could have told you they were apple seeds. <laughs> but if when it sprout up, you see pears, you realize it's a pear tree, despite what the envelope said. Some of us want, we want the packaging. We want someone to say, this is who you are. You want to know what it is? What kind of fruit are you producing? What is that thing you do with very little effort yeah. that other people don't, right? So thank you for highlighting that, even though you didn't realize you were highlighting that possibly. <laughs> so there's that. And it relationships. I think as, as a culture and as a society, there is so little emphasis put on relationships right. throughout our lives. I will definitely say within our like formal education, uh, there is such a push on knowledge, right. information, acquisition and performance. Yeah. But actually relationships are what you, you can't name a profession, not a single one that relationships is not a part of. Right? right? You just can't. The, you name the most isolated job you can think of person in a hole somewhere they're interfacing with somebody yeah. or maybe they're working with the earth still a relationship sure. maybe they're working with space still a relationship and so you know I heard that you took what you knew about relationships and you had been cultivating in this kind of therapeutic sense with couples and you're like hey this is this is so similar to how this works over here and and the same um, I do um, cultural humility work um, for me, simply meaning we have to assume the position of humility to go. understand the vastness of the human experience and that I can't possibly know all there is to know about another person's experience. There you go. When I come into a situation curious, compassionate, and humble, then I'm looking, I'm, I, have, I have more questions than I have answers. There you go. So I'm curious. I want to know. I wonder. Tell me more. And then I can learn. But when I come in and I'm saying, I got I to gotta know it. Oh, this is, no, I would be a very ineffective therapist if I thought I knew everything about my clients. Right, right. What? I, please, if you, um, you know, know this, but if your therapist, if they know everything, you might want to find another one. Yeah. Right? Because we, it's the curiosity in that. And so when doing this cultural work, I found that my passion and my draw is trauma. So yeah. it started, I didn't start off in kind of like the cultural work, but what I said is, what am I learning about trauma? I am learning that the brain and the body collaborate for right. three very uh, paramount things to keep you alive, to keep you safe and help you avoid pain. Once those three things are accomplished, we can go on and do all this other stuff. And I'm like, okay, if I know that and I'm learning the various many ways in which that manifests, how can I help people understand that in every interaction you have, you're bringing your full history with you? Every single one, you can't leave it behind. And every interaction you have, you are interpreting it through the lens of your previous experiences. And so we're constantly having current interactions with historical experiences. If I can get people just to get that and right. pause and be like, oh wait, that's actually not what's happening right now. That's what happened at my last job. Let me pause and say, what is this person actually saying? Yeah. If I can just realize that there is a possibility that what was said was not what I heard. Nice to put, right? Then, then, then at least that pause and curiosity will have me seek. Um, what can you say that again? Or can you help me understand that? But right. some of us, rightly, I get it. Like I'm not. And this isn't judgment. We no, have grown no. up in cultures that if we go, huh, or what did you say? Were you not listening to me? 
Right. Blah, blah, blah. We, we get shamed, right. we get punished. So what does the brain learn to do? Well, that's painful, so just make it up. So we right. learn to go, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. My kids do it sometimes and I'm like, what are you on, hon? Like, right. it's, it's a, that response doesn't even match what I said. So let's pause. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't, I think, let's, let's try this again. I yeah. think if we extended that much grace to ourselves, then we would be comfortable extending it to others. Mm-hmm. If we learn to be compassionate with self, then we could be compassionate with others. And then some of these interactions, mm-hmm. right, can definitely improve. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a whole history in this country yeah. that that has contributed to how we show up. But then I think that's also another step. Right. Once we can build the capacity to pause, there you go. then let's say, so how did we get here? Right. Let's look at the system that has got us here. Let's look at who's benefiting in this system. Let's look at our roles in the system and some of the work we do, uh, colleagues of mine, we do Courage to Connect. We use the plantation as a metaphor. Oh. Everybody's on the plantation. What role is it? Oh. And this is not necessarily... But it's not because I'm black, I'm in the field. No, 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 no. You can be white in the field. Sure. You can be black That's in the true. house, but it's not just the field workers because there were the, the black field workers and then there were the white slaves sure. who were responsible for overseeing that. There, there were the ones in the house. There were the gatekeepers, the, the misses and the maidens got it, got who it. were benefiting from the plantation but still couldn't tell the master nothing, right? And so I believe that if we can see ourselves on that plantation, what, for as a metaphor, what what role am I playing in the continuation of the system working that it does? It creates a whole different perspective coupled with skill building on how to communicate. And I think that's just really important because there are a lot of people who want DEI. They want diversity, they want equity, they want inclusion. But do you? (laughs) I mean, I I I I get some calls. They want the services, but do you? (laughs) Let's have this conversation because if you look in the check a box, right? I'm not the one for you. I'm sorry. Some people will help you check your box. Are you talking about overhauling your culture? And then, yes, we are. Then they see the time commitment and the price tag and they go, no, we're not. <laughs> right? So it, it's an investment. And I, I, I do think that that's important, but it's so necessary. It starts very internal and interpersonal and then we, we grow that. So tell us a little more just about your work. Who are you working with? What does that look like or anything else you want to share about it? I mean, practically speaking, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's a matter of identifying what change actually looks like. Uh, one of the things that, that uh, I try to do a little bit differently than a lot of other, the usual DEI, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion type of work is um, a lot of times when people say, you know, I want DEI, they talk about, I want a policy. You have a, a policy I can copy and paste. Do you have a declaration statement I can put on my website after the latest big events? Uh, or do you have the role that I can hire? We, we can either hire you if, you if you want to fill that role. So we can do that. We can say we did it. And oftentimes, there's a lot of people who are doing great things and making some changes. But often, unfortunately, the people in these roles will tell you, oftentimes it's um, we're here. To, so you're here to look out for the next problem and catch it before it becomes public. Um, look at our brochure, look at our advertisement, whatever. Anything you see offensive about this? No? Okay, then we're going to do act, everything exactly the same. And uh, and there's a place for those, for policies. There's a place for statements. I love that when, when, when that's what's beneficial. If it stops there, though, that's when when I start to get cautious. I'm not saying any of that's wrong. That, that, that can be great. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of times you see um, advertisements, things get in the news by somebody who made a product and it, and, uh, and it got flack for, wait, how could you do this? It's obviously offended millions of people around the, around the country. And, and so many people say, you didn't have one person on your staff <laughs> who could have told you, uh, don't do that. Uh, and sometimes it's beneficial to have that person, regardless of what background they're at, to say, um, I don't think you want to do that. There, there's a place for that. However, where I focus on, again, staying with the relationship focus is every day in between. 
do the people in the organization feel seen? Do they feel like they have a voice? Do they feel like they're, they're, them or people like them are represented? Regardless of whether there needs to be a statement, a problem to solve or a mission statement to be declared, but they feel like they're a part of the team, like their voice matters, that they're contributing, that the organization, no matter what service from accounting to education to, uh, to anything local, whatever the case may be, that they're trying to serve as many varieties of people, as customers, as clients as possible, not just one group of people at the exclusion of everybody else. That's not always easy to do. After all, it's inconvenient. Everybody has a comfort zone. Everybody, everybody has a comfort zone in some form of life. And so it's easy to do the same thing for the same group of people all the time. You say, that's just my bread and butter. That's just what I do naturally. And I say, fine, have your comfort zone. That's great. Just don't stay there. Just, just, don't, just don't stay there at the exclusion of everybody else. When you're best suited to meet a variety of different needs and you say, um, I'm sorry, I just don't specialize in that. And they look right back and you say, I don't need you to specialize in that. I just need you to welcome me along with everybody else. I'll do a lot of the work of just help, just have an intentional view to be as, as broad as possible to meet a variety of different needs. And then if we realize that, then we realize it's not about some small subset of the population. You know, I, I, we, we meet as many needs as possible, just not that minority population. We just don't specialize in diversity. But if you realize that it's not just about race and ethnicity, but, you know, age, gender, socioeconomics, all, all that kind of stuff, that we're all different in some way. We're all, every client you currently have is diverse in some way. No matter how many similarities they have, they're different mm -hmm. in some way. So if you recognize that, then how many differences are you willing to accommodate and show that they matter? And then you realize it's not that much different than what you're doing right now. You're just expanding the skills that you're already trying to do. And if we do that, then, then the, the conversation of a motivation comes back full circle. I'm not trying to convince you to do something you shouldn't have to do. I'm helping you realize you want to do this. You just didn't know it. This can help you be more effective than you are. I'm not trying to teach you how to do your job. Well, I, I've done these training for so many different varieties of career fields that I've never worked in. And I'm not telling them how to do their job. They know so many things I don't know. But if I can help reduce the likelihood of an offense, an unintentional offense, I don't need to be talking about some, uh, something discovered that was getting in the way, an unintentional offense getting in the way of your clients appreciating your services, then that increases your efficacy already by reducing unintentional offenses. And then even if you don't reduce it to zero, uh, getting to the point where if uh, unintentional offense happens, you have practical strategies to help repair that relationship after it happens. To say, okay, my bad, thank you for letting me know, but I see that it matters. Let me show you what we're willing to do to, to, to make the future better. Then instead of them just saying, oh, I didn't know you were one of those kind of professionals. <laughs> I didn't know you were one of those type of organizations. They can say, huh, that's not usually the response we get when we express uh, uh, feeling offended. Let's see how you respond to this. And relationships can be saved. Professional relationships, colleagues, clients, relationships can be strengthened and it comes back full circle again. Even on the hot topics of diversity and cultural competency, it can be just as relationally beneficial and, uh, and, and the fun happens. No, so much good stuff there. And I, I even feel like I, I want to, I want to, um, realign my my posture right because i get passionate i'm not trying to say that checking a but listen there is a place for all of these things yeah, yeah. um and i know in my passion sometimes i can be like this is the way right and and i do i have i, I think there is some strength in this way yeah, but yeah. i think the hope is that people understand what i love is just don't stay there yeah right yeah. you starting off it might be a box you gotta check because that, that's, that's where things are, what's happening right now. As long as you know that that box isn't a relationship. Just a starting and point. that box is not relational. Yeah. It's just the starting point. Yeah. And I think there are so many good things that those of us who do specialize in this can help people, organizations to see. Um, now, when you talked about the decisions people make and they like, you only have one person, I will always go back to... I don't remember how many years ago it was, but Target had some outfit oh, and, yeah. and like, uh, it, this is funny. Like it's, is it Mrs. And whatever the size. And then, you know, us big ladies, we call women, the women sizes. Okay. Like, okay. But anyway, 
the same outfit, but in the women's sizes, they named it manatee gray instead of the other gray or whatever this gray. And like just your face, exactly that. And you just like, come on. I don't know the details, but I'm like, y'all ain't got no quality control. Like it made it from somebody's brain out they like that made it to the shelf come up listen but think about how many of us need some quality control people in our lives exactly Exactly. some people say things and i'm like you ain't had nobody in your life that that's told you before like don't 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 say that (laughs) let's talk about (laughs) why that's not okay right and and some of that has to do with the fact that we've never had anyone help us yes. focus on relationship, how we show up in the world, what what nonverbals mean. We some of us are so focused on survival, right, right, that our capacity to see these things it's not a type pro, it's not a top priority. But I think about how many people of color or LGBTQ community or whoever who fit into these marginalized groups, go to their jobs. And as soon as they step foot on the property, they move into survival mode. Right. Because they can recognize their body can sense that this isn't a safe place for me, that I, I'm not technically included. I'm employed, but I'm not included. I I'm here, but I'm not welcomed. That impacts communication. So when people say, well, we, we tried to reach out to this group of people, we tried to do these things, but they don't respond. Well, are they still in survival mode? <laughs> you know, are they just trying to get through the day and then you come offer this thing and then you feel rejected? So that's the work that we can start doing because it's so relational that, you know, I think if people could just really start to, to really investigate, they realize, like you said, oh, I mean, it's intentional work. I'm not saying it's quote unquote easy, no, no, no. but they want to make it seem like it's this whole subset of something else. And it's about being human right. in a very kind way, which again, we didn't learn that in school. Right. Learn. Didn't learn in school. Didn't learn it at home. And that's, that's where that, that, that I try to come at it from a shame and judgment free pr- perspective of it. Because even as you say, you know, just, just try. So we tried to reach out. It's like, yes. But if I think back to uh, my, my marriage counseling started, and I picture a, a relationship where two people um, uh, are together. They go home to one one of their, let's say, they go to his family's house, and they say, "Well, uh, the family's like, well, she's so reserved. What's what's wrong with her? She she's not talking. She's gazing. We try to engage with her. We mm-hmm. try to get her involved, but she's off to the side. And then after they leave the family event, they say, "Well, how come you weren't doing?" It's like, well, they were just so offensive. They were just coming at me, and it's like, well, in that environment. That's what engaging means. They throw you in front of a karaoke machine and they say, go, (laughs) not realizing that in their family, that's including you. But in her family, that's insulting somebody, putting them on the spot in a a disrespectful way. So when I hear this in businesses, when I hear this in in churches, when I hear this in cross-cultural relationships, like you tried your way. You tried in the way that made sense for you. You tried in the way that you've learned for so many years. That's not bad. How dare you do what works for you in so many different ways. But the question is, are you willing to see how the other person needs you to try differently? How it's not in, it doesn't mean the same thing in their ears as it does coming out of your mouth. And neither one of you necessarily did anything wrong some of these times because you're just using different language. So you need to be able to open, be open to, to hearing what does that mean to you when I say that? And you don't have to apologize. I apologize for what I said. Well, you can, you can say I can apologize that, that I said something that was hurtful to you. I'm, I, that wasn't my intent. But I'm not going to also feel bad because I didn't. I know what I meant. And if we bridge that gap between I don't have to feel shame. Thank you for convincing me I was a horrible person and I never should have learned that in the first place. That's not always the criteria. As opposed to thank you for helping me understand how that was experienced by you. And because our relationship matters, I'm willing to learn something different, not better, right or wrong, but something different that's not just about my convenience, my comfort, my consideration, that that considers both of us. And hopefully we can cultivate an environment where we can all be doing that. But if we're guarded beforehand, if the the last five people they experienced before you weren't even trying, then you can also understand why they're guarded as well. But they're not, well, well, if it was important, you should have just told me. Well, maybe five times before you, they tried to just say it and got shut down. 
So they concluded, you know, it's not even worth opening their mouth. That doesn't make them wrong for a whole bunch of bad experiences that preceded you. It doesn't mean you were wrong for not reading their minds. But if we all coming at it, trying to learn new skills and help each other feel seen, it doesn't matter whether it's easy or not, it's doable. But we have to be willing to do that work because we all benefit. We all benefit. That was so beautifully said. I appreciate that so much. And one thing that I, I truly believe about the work that we do is, and I, I say, like, ain't no money back guarantees. You want your money back, go to the person, you know, go to your employer. However, what I will say is, there's nothing that I do in a professional training that does not apply to your home, you to your go. community, nice. to your faith organization, to yourself. So in that essence, you are getting these things that like innumerably multiply once you understand them as a concept, once you understand the nature of how your brain's working and how your body's collaborating. It's not just, yeah, you know, it's like you got, you got this training at work, but trust me, you're going to be able to go home and use it. And there's no person that sits with me in counseling and can't apply what they learn at work or at their faith community. And so I value our work so much. Yeah. Just our, our therapy work, our, our cultural work, because it's, it's so useful in ways that people don't even have a concept right. to understand it until they start to learn it and do it. And it's like, whoa, this thing is so particularly valuable. So Lambert, thank you for the work you do My and pleasure. that your work is, is really having a reach. Like I said, you know, you showed up in my inbox before I knew you for a training. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, you get all these kind of emails and no disrespect, but I'm like, I guess I'm gonna read this. So delete, delete, delete. <laughs> but then I'm like, wait a minute. Then we got connected and I'm like, I've seen him before. Where have I seen him? And then it's like another email and I'm like, oh, right. So I love that even though we are distance wise, far apart that your work like we said the changes is that your work is accessible to so many people so to any of my listeners who are saying like "Mm, that sound good or my favorite my job needs this how can people get in touch with you and find you oh i'm pretty easily findable um you can go to my website diversitymadesimple.com all one word uh and um i have my trainings there you can also find me on my name lambersfisher.com so that's many lambers out there so that should be easy to find uh and i have all the information about there uh whether it be my online trainings people just do in their own time that's uh, accessible to them but also uh virtual live trainings as well where i could come in the benefit of virtual um live trainings is you get the same content but what often what is most valuable is uh, at the end uh, I offer really judgment-free question and answer. I often say, you know, people, people can say there's no dumb question. There's no offensive question. It is very hard to offend me, virtually impossible. I, I can be offended, but nobody, there, there's only a few things that can offend me and only my wife knows what they really are. Uh, you can ask me any question. Why? Because in any of these trainings, if you ask me a question you say, well, I always seem to offend people when I ask this, I don't hear you're trying to offend me. I hear you are trying to change that pattern. And I see that as, hey, I'm trying to reduce my ignorance. And so when you get people uh, that have uh, leaders uh, or organizations, HR leaders and and, uh, education leaders, corporate leaders, whatever the case may be, and say, hey, I want to help my team, but I don't know how to, then I I want to be the perfect one to give an encouragement boost, not just with content. But even if we have people who do this for their team, diverse DEI leaders, but they get a little bit of resistance from the people there, I can bring an encouragement boost and a motivation to say, hey, uh, how can we help people feel like it's doable, it's accessible, and they see the benefit? And then go ahead and do all the work you're doing because you now you have a little bit more uh, softer soil to work with. Uh, and if we get that, then not just the colleagues benefit, but every client, every customer, every person we're serving benefits. And that's at the end of the day, that's my, my goal, but to, to help everybody who you're helping get more culturally competent people serving them. And that's the goal. That's the goal. That's awesome. And I agree. The question and answer part of trainings can be some of the most yeah. informative, impactful, influential. Um, so definitely one of my favorites, right? And thank you. So I always like to round out my interviews by asking a person to share a fun, little known or interesting uh, fact about themselves. So what can you share with us? 
Uh, well, I'm a completely uh, uh, non-professional uh, person. Uh, uh, for people who know me, I'm, I'm a short guy, uh, so I'm not going to be necessarily starting any fights soon. But uh, in order to balance that out, uh, I have worked uh, to the point of being a second-degree black belt in the martial art of Kuk Suwan. So uh, I often tell my wife, you know, I may not be starting any fights, but if one starts, I might be able to finish one and come catch up to you uh, after, after you, uh, <laughs> you distance yourself from the situation. <laughs> it balances things out on a daily basis. I appreciate that. Now, see, now I want to jump back in. Like, let's talk about height. Like, so I have to have you back because yeah, I'm just so intrigued about body size and stature and the messages. So anyway, we'll go. keep that in the back of our minds for <laughs> when we meet again. Lambris, I so genuinely appreciate you taking time out, uh, joining me, uh, sharing your work, your passion, and your gifts with my listeners. My pleasure. Thanks, Lashana. Of course. I want to give a special shout out to Trey Angel, who provides all the music for the Labors of Love podcast, to my producer, Jay Sugg from Instant Classic Media, and of course, to you, my guest. I absolutely never take it for granted that you spend time listening to the podcast. If you have suggestions for content or guests, reach out at www.thelaborsoflove.com. Don't forget we're on all the major social media outlets. If you have not already, please head over to Instagram for our brand new Instagram page, just for the podcast, the underscore LOL underscore pod. And don't forget to give us that five-star rating. If you haven't already written a review, uh, you can find us on the website or on Google. Let people know about the website and don't forget to share. Until we meet again, you all be well.